I'm Emma G. Rose, author of Contemporary Fantasy and Mythological Weirdness. I'm Shelley Shearer, author of Urban Fantasies and Cozy Mysteries. Welcome to Indie Book Talk. Join us as we explore the expanding universe of indie books. Welcome back to Indie Book Talk. The conversation before the conversation was fabulous, so I can't wait to hear what's going to happen next. We are talking to Dirk Manning, the comic book extraordinaire, amazing horror writer of all things ridiculous and scary, and he has a brand new project that he's going to tell us about, and we're going to pick his brain about Kickstarter and how to use it to fund your creative projects. Dirk, welcome to Indie Book Talk. That was such a fantastic and, dare I say, magnanimous introduction <laughs> that I thought you had another guest and that I should just sit here and be quiet for a while. But uh, thank you, ladies, both of you, for having me on. Uh, as I said before we got started, uh, Emma, it's been far too long. It's wonderful to talk to you again. And Shelly, the, uh, the popcorn will be in the mail. <laughs> How do you go? From something with tentacles in a swampy area with nightmare world to mm-hmm. butts in seats of biographical journey about wrestling. You know, I ask myself that same question <laughs> all the time. No, uh, uh, no. truth be told, I have been a, a very uh, unabashed fan of professional wrestling for a long time. And people that follow me on social media know that the foundational elements of a Dirk Manning are my love of horror, comics, ice cream, heavy metal, and professional wrestling. So you see those memes, like if someone drew a pentagram, like what are the five things that would trap you? Those are the things that would draw me in. But you're right. I'm primarily known as a a writer of horror comics, which is Nightmare World and Tales of Mystery and, you know, things with tentacles and swamps and scary stuff. And now here I sit talking to you two wonderful people, uh, the writer of uh, Butts and Seats, the Tony Schiavone story, which is about the life of professional uh, wrestling announcing legend, Tony Schiavone. Long story short, mutual friend introduced us. Tony Schiavone is a huge comic book fan. He was kind of approached with the idea of, would you like to write a book, but make your story a graphic novel? And he was very into that idea. Our mutual friend, Mike Dawkins, a.k.a. the gimmick attorney. Uh, He works with a lot of professional wrestlers. He then uh, kind of finagled a, a meeting with us right as the pandemic started, ironically enough. So Tony and I have yet to ever meet in person. All of our conversations have been via Zoom. Uh, or the the interwebs, and um, we really hit it off. Tony's a great guy. He has a fascinating story. Uh, obviously, like I said, I'm a fan of professional wrestling. I have been for most of my life. And to tell his story about his life amongst these giant, larger-than-life characters and going himself from being a fan of professional wrestling to being a, an announcer in wrestling then getting disenfranchised with it and leaving wrestling for almost two decades and then getting drawn back into it and, and finding out how big of an impact his work in the field had. And now he's on uh, All Elite Wrestling, uh, Dynamite on Wednesday nights and ushering in a new golden age of wrestling. Hmm. It's just a fascinating story. And, and it's almost like, I, this sounds so cliche to say, but it's almost like the American dream, you know, this kid that grows up loving wrestling to getting to be involved in the industry. I guess like myself, you know, as a teenager, I loved comics and horror and now I write horror comics, you know? 
so it's a cool story. You know, uh, I think it's a story that even people who aren't hardcore wrestling fans will find entertaining, uh, engaging. I dare say even at times inspirational. So this is, you're doing this project as a Kickstarter funded project. Yes, ma'am. And it has been, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say wildly successful. Y- yeah, it is. It has surpassed <laughs> all of our expectations. Myself, Excellent. Tony, the publisher, Sourcepoint Press, the artists involved. Yes, absolutely. But it's also not your first Kickstarter project. So why do you keep returning to Kickstarter as kind of your funding model for projects like this? I really like Kickstarter because to me, it offers people a chance to pre-order a deluxe edition of the book that they would not be able to get in comic shops or bookstores. Specifically, I like to offer a version of the book that comic book stores or bookstores, quite frankly, wouldn't support. So you're kind of giving like that extra benefit to the true fans, like, hey, we appreciate you. This is something you can get extra special. Exactly. If you pre-order the book, here's stuff you get. And and people will be quick to point out that Kickstarter is not a a pre-sale engine. It's not. What we do is we use Kickstarter They're saying, if we can generate this much in funding, we will not only be able to create the product, but as a thank you to you for helping us create the product, you'll get extra stuff. And I'm just going to be real blunt. I started my my career in comics, and this will lead to an answer to your question, I promise. (laughs) I started my career in comics uh, publishing online. And one of the reasons I published online is because when I started uh, (laughs) years ago, um, about 20 years, I've been doing this about 20 years, which is crazy, especially because I'm only 22 years old. Um, Yeah. Times two. That's a, a precocious young man right there. Yeah, the age of two. Uh, yeah. no, um, but I, I published online because I could not afford to print full-color comics like I had produced with Nightmare World, my first series. Mm-hmm. Then when I got to the point where uh, eventually I, I landed a deal with Image Comics – who also publishes this other horror comic you may have heard of. It's called The Walking Dead. Well, that. <laughs> yeah, just some black and white thing. I don't know. But Nightmare um, World was there during that time. I took the approach of releasing my series as original graphic novels. So I never did like the, some people call it the floppy or the monthly book for, for Nightmare World because I've always kind of approached my career as a writer and that sounds very pretentious, and I apologize. My career as a writer. But um, I didn't grow up a comic kid. I didn't discover co- comics till I was 13, but I've always been a voracious reader, and I approached it like a more traditional novelist. Every year you will get a new Dirk Manning book. That was my, my idea when I started this. So every Halloween, boom, another volume of Nightmare World. Here's another 100-plus page graphic novel. Comic book stores, perhaps not surprisingly, were not overly enthusiastic in ordering a debut horror anthology style graphic novel from a guy that's never written for Marvel or DC, never written any comics before that have been published, despite the fact that this book was coming out through the same publisher that did The Walking Dead. Okay. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know? But to me, I I had this delusion starting out, you know, being the, the plucky young writer I was at the time that quality will win out. And that the store owners will see how good Nightmare World is. and They will order it and the fans will will demand it and it'll be great. 
because it was a very popular online series. I was shocked to discover that there were comic book stores and even some bookstores who actively would not order the book when people asked for it because the rationale was, I don't have it in stock now. And if I order it, you may not come back and get it and I will be quote unquote stuck with it. It, As a side it, note, Nightmare World is awesome. Oh, so, uh-huh. out there. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, again, not to break my own arm patting my own back here, but <laughs> Nightmare World has been an evergreen book for me ever since. I've never done a convention appearance where I haven't sold copies of that book. Uh, it continues to sell. In fact, I realized recently it is in the upper echelon of comics in regards to a creator owned comic published by the most publishers, different publishers, which is kind of a weird alkali to, to have <laughs> that so many publishers have published Nightmare World. It's like, you know, but anyway. So to, to your point with Kickstarter, I realized there was a strong demand for this book and other books I'd written, but because I didn't have the street cred of working for a Marvel or a DC that... I was running into a barrier with comic book store owners and and things like that. And that's not to say, and I'm not trying to be disparaging towards comic book store owners, but they have a limited budget every month to order so many books and ordering a $15 book from a quote unquote unknown writer was, was a risk that financially a lot of them didn't want to invest in, but I didn't want to cut them out of the equation. So as I promised a very, Long answer to a short question. (laughs) I went to Kickstarter and said, okay, I will offer a deluxe edition of the book, a hardcover edition, a slip. And and if we get enough funding, we'll put a slipcase on it. We'll put extra, we'll put signed book plates. I love those stretch goals. The stretch Stretch goals, right. (laughs) That would allow me to afford to print the book, then play the long game of slowly like a creeping mold infiltrating comic book <laughs> and, and uh, slowly building my fan base across the country, not only through online comics, but also through doing tons of conventions coast to coast and getting the word out and saying, if you like this, go to your comic book store and have them order you the next one. Um, so that that's why I kept going back to Kickstarter time and time again and before the Butts and Seats campaign, which you can now access at buttsandseatscomic.com, <laughs> before this campaign launched, I realized that in my career to date, um, I have pre-sold over a quarter million dollars worth of nice. comics on Kickstarter, which is pretty flabbergasting. And of course, now I'm doing this Butts and Seats campaign, which as I talked to you ladies, we're closing in on 120,000, meaning this one book is almost half of everything I've done in my career, you know, to, to date. But, um, but you know, so, Kickstarter yeah. is like a snowball rolling down a hill. You just get momentum and you keep going. So that brings me to the question. So the first time you did it, yes. I mean, I, I love me some Kickstarter, but you can get lost amongst all the, the things that they offer. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you go into there with a pretty solid fan base or did you have to do a lot of marketing to get word out? Because, I mean, I, I mainly do it for board games, but sure. even then it's it's swamped. I can only imagine what kind of competition you had. 
I was fortunate. I was one of the OGs. You know, I jumped okay. in pretty much at the ground floor. Uh, and in fact, the first Kickstarter I ran was through my publisher at the time, Devil's Due, out of Chicago. Not for Nightmare World, because that book had been coming out their image, but for the, the spinoff series, Tales of Mystery. Um, and I developed a model that I think a lot of people now kind of use in comics in this, this format, this template, if you will. But that being said... I had some angel backers that first time. Okay. I, I had some people that said, look, Dirk, we believe in you. We love mystery because mystery existed in an online comic as well. But bringing in a publisher, what I was trading off was I was going to get less money myself, but I was going to get potentially a much broader distribution. But to get that broader distribution, we had to print more books, which means I had to raise more money. So it's not like I was just self-publishing these out of the back of my house, you know, and then selling mm-hmm. my shows. We were going, we were going deep with Devil's Due on this book. So I was very fortunate that I had a couple of angel backers that knew what I was doing and knew the plan, and they helped push me over the hump that first time. Bet- then between having the successful Kickstarter, between being with Devil's Due, between hitting the road for 25, 20, 25 conventions a year. By the time we launched Tales of Mystery Volume 2, we were on much stronger footing. Tales of Mystery 3 did better. We then did the Nightmare World Omnibus, which allowed us to complete Nightmare World as a full omnibus. That broke records for Devil's Due. We did over $45,000 on that campaign alone. And um, have, have gone on ever since, you know. But uh, being involved on the ground floor helped. Always delivering helps. Uh, really taking care of the people who back your campaigns by giving them really cool swag. It, it all factors in. And, and like I said a moment ago, kind of jokingly, there's a certain momentum to it. So here's my, here's my question. And this is always the question I've had about when I see these Kickstarter projects and like I have, I just happen to have the nightmare world omnibus in the slip case with oh, the, the fancy edition, extra yes. Mm-hmm. Which is listeners. This is like, Looks like leather, gold, um, go- gold sprayed pages. We have like a little, little silk bookmark here. I mean, this is a this is a quality piece of work. Thank you. How do you plan for that? You know, like how do you say, okay, if I get, you know, this number of backers, we'll be able to do these things. How can you even plan that ahead of time? Is it just insanely detailed budgeting? How do you decide what the details are going to be? Um, honestly, the Nightmare World Omnibus campaign, which, as you mentioned, eventually yielded the Nightmare World Bible, blew past our wildest expectations. My fantasy was to do what you have in your hands, a leather-bound version that collects all four volumes of Nightmare World, reshuffled in the writer's, director's cut order, with a silk ribbon, bookmark embedded in it, and a a slip case. I mean, that was like the fantasy version of the book. Um, But that being said, once the campaign started to do so well, it became budgeting. And any campaign you do becomes about the budgeting. And, and, and I'm going to get kind of geeky in the numbers here for you because you asked. You have to think of it this way. So for $55, you would get this hardcover book. All four volumes together, boom, okay. Every stretch goal add-on 
that goes into that book, whether it be the signed book plate, uh, something as simple as signed book plate, to the to the ribbon bookmark, to the gold gilded pages, to the slipcase, you want to consider that's going to add to the unit price, which is going to eat into the amount of take home money I'm going to get. So let's say the book costs just to make up a round a roundish number. It's going to cost twenty dollars to print it which is probably a little cheap, but whatever. So let's say it's going to cost $20 to print it. It's going to cost $5 to ship it. That means my profit on the book per unit is $30. Now, these are kind of fantasy numbers. It was more than that, but whatever. So let's say now I'm going to add in a signed book plate. Each book plate is going to cost me $0.50. Cents. So now my profit on the book is $29.50. Now we're going to do the ribbon bookmark. The ribbon bookmark adds another 50 cents per unit. Now my profit is $29. Now we're going to add gold gilded pages, which adds a dollar to each book. Now my profit's $28 per book. Now we're going to add a slipcase, but that's $3. But you, know, but you see what's happening. The problem is I was crazy, and this was such a vanity project. Me, I was so excited to do it. My publisher hated my guts because I said, I don't care about the money. I just want this tricked out version of the book out there. <laughs> I want to make sure that I break even. And my publisher, you know, he's like, what about me? I need to make money. <laughs> he's like, you can be nuts. I don't have to be nuts. But what I was doing was I was taking my portion of the profit and pouring it into the deluxe version of the book that you could only get on Kickstarter. So like that, that edition that you have, Emma, the, the Bible edition, you know, even even the front instead of the Emerald Omnibus says the Emerald Bible, you can't get that. The only people that got that book were approximately 540 people who backed that Kickstarter campaign. That's it. So to get even deeper on the numbers here, let's say I'm going to print a thousand books, six hundred to get the best unit price. Six hundred of them are going to be Bibles, which maybe cost. $35 per unit. Then the other 400 are omnibuses, which cost $20 per unit. There's a science to it. And mm -hmm. everything you add to your book eats away at the profit. And again, to me, it's not all about the money, clearly. I'm, I'm, I'm an artist in that regard. I'm, I'm, even if I, but even if I don't care about the money, I have to be cognizant of it. So... Taking those lessons to like butts and seats, which is at buttsandseatscomic.com, you know, we had to have these discussions with the team about what we can add on to this that won't destroy our budget, you know, with our unit cost right. and things like that. So, again, I apologize, a little bit of a, a long and technical answer, but yeah, you got to be aware of it going in. And, and, and nowadays I, I plot it out knowing that if we unlock every stretch goal, the unit cost of the book is going to go from $20 to $30. And then it's going to be heavier to ship because it's got a slipcase. So now my shipping is going to go from $5 to $7. Um, and you just, you know, who knew that math matters, right? When you're in high school, that they tell you. <laughs> I am curious, since you do have more of a horror background, were you concerned switching to wrestling? Because I know, like, say you're a, a well-known fantasy writer and you suddenly write science fiction. Right. You could lose a huge fan base that don't want to move with you. Did, were you concerned when you moved over to this new book? 
to an extent, I mean, people that know me on social media know I'm a, like I said, unapologetic, unabashed professional wrestling fan. But I also have been kind of very gently expanding the tapestry of what people can expect from me for a couple of years now. Um, it's funny, like you said, I mean, I did four volumes of Nightmare World. I did four volumes of Tales of Mystery. I love stories to die for. Then, like, for a long time, my outlier book was Right or Wrong, which was a book to help other people make comics and write. But then when I jumped over to Source Point Press, one of my first books with them was uh, Twisted Haunted Highons, which is a kind of a comedy horror book that, that features the, the rock, rap, hip-hop crossover band Twisted. It's kind of like uh, fake ghost hunters who get called The Real Haunted House. <laughs> spooky, but it was funny. You know, stoner comedy from a straight edge guy. Go figure. So, <laughs> then my second book with Source Point was Hope, which is a book about a mom who moonlights as a superhero. And Kaylin Smith did the art on the first volume, co-created the book with me. Pink cover, strong female character on the cover here, you know, superhero. And people are like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Like one, you're working with Kaylin Smith, who is a juggernaut in her own right. But they said you're doing a superhero book, and I would tell people, I said I am, but I promise you, this is the scariest book I've ever written. All right, I'm looking it up. Yeah. And people didn't believe me. Like it's got a pink cover, Dirk, and I said, trust me. And they would read it, and I'd say it's not a horror book, but it's scary, and. And people read it and were like, oh, my gosh. You know, my, my intent was it still reads like a Dirk Manning story, but it's not in the horror genre. But then, of course, what do I do from there? My next one is The Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. and Dastardly Dirk, which is an all-ages horror book so that kids can get into horror. And then I did Buried But Not Dead, a collection of, like, my old – a bunch of my previously unpublished Nightmare World and horror stories, you know. So – I've always wanted to continue to establish the fact that I may stretch, but I'm still a horror guy. Now you are always you. Yeah, but now with butts and seats, there's no horror element to this at all. You know. <laughs> um, so, but what I did do was I went back to my roots and used an anthology style format, wherein the ten main chapters of the book are each by a different artist, like I did with Nightmare World. Oh. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, you know, and then the four bonus stories are by four other artists. We unlocked through stretch goals 10 bonus pinups that are chapter breaks by 10 more artists. So, you know, people are still kind of getting a – and again, this this Kickstarter is – our funding goal was $20,000. And like I said, we're closing in on knock on wood here by the end of the campaign, 120000 And for those that want to get in on the campaign, when does it end? Uh, this Friday at noon, Eastern Standard Time. But remember, you can pledge now at buttsandteachcomic.com. But you get um, you get like a bonus comic. You get a triple-signed book plate. You get an enamel pin. You're going to get the championship edition of the book, which is going to be the fanciest edition of any book I've done since the Nightmare Old Bible. Like a a gold wrestling belt embedded in the cover of the book. I mean that is cool. <laughs> and the only way to get it is through the Kickstarter. When the campaign ends, that's how many we're printing. That's it. We then after that we'll have the trade paperback edition. 
It'll be available in bookstores. It'll be available everywhere. But if you pre-ordered in that 30-day window, you get the really awesome tricked-out version of the book with all the the, uh, the extra. We, we, we are at 16 stretch goals already. Wow. So do you think you'll always go back to Kickstarter, like on all future projects? You know, uh, I'm publishing with SourcePoint Press now, and, and we had a conversation about this. I don't want it to become a gimmick where every book I do has a Kickstarter component to it. Because again, and I think I started to touch on this and probably got distracted by a shiny object earlier. <laughs> the reason that I offered the deluxe version of the book on Kickstarter versus a standard edition is I don't want to cut comic book stores out of the loop. Mm-hmm. You know, this is for the hardcore people. You're not going to be able to get this crazy, hardcore, tricked out, enamel pins, lithographs, everything else. Comic book stores these don't support that model. But I also want to continue to honor our comic book stores. I want to honor bookstores and make sure that the books I do on Kickstarter, it's not a gimmick to get a hardcover. It's because we're going to do some real cool stuff with it that you normally couldn't get through stores. So like Hope Volume 2, will I do a Kickstarter? I don't know. I did it on the first one, and we got a real cool hardcover out of it with an alternate cover by Kaylin Smith, things like that. I don't know. Now, Cthulhu Jr., if we maybe want to offer little Cthulhu Jr. rubber duckies or something. Oh, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, I'm just making something up. (laughs) Or am I? Um, We have a history of rubber duckies on this show. Yes. You know, you like how I do that? (laughs) Do my research. Um, (laughs) You know, but like Mystery, I'll probably always do a Kickstarter because there's four volumes already in hardcover. And I want people to continue to get the hardcover with like the bonus comic and things like that. But, but I do want to save it for projects that it fits the model of what we're doing, but also continuing to put books out through the direct market source point press now has a deal, Simon and Schuster, you know, and, and, and really continue to maintain that balance where a couple times a year tops, people will have a chance to, to buy in early and get something extra awesome. But you know what else is awesome? Putting on a comic book having it in stores, going to get it every month, being surprised what's happening. that That's cool too. So I, I, I want to always honor the intent and spirit and integrity of each project. So as we, uh, as we wind this down here, do you have any advice? I know you have a whole book of advice, but do you have any just sort of off the cuff <laughs> advice for people who are, they, they want to write comics, they want to draw comics and they're, they're looking at kind of a more independent model. You know, they're not going to go work for DC or Marvel. They're going right. to do it on their own. I think it's very important that you tell the story that only you can tell. Everyone has a Batman story. Both of you could write a hell of a Batman story. I have no doubt. Both of you could write a hell of a Spider-Man story. I have no doubt. The reason I have no doubt is because Batman and Spider-Man are very archetypal characters. Anybody can write those stories. And write a good one, possibly several good ones. But I think when you're getting started, it's important to tell the story that only you can tell. I didn't get into comic books to write Batman or, or Spider-Man. You know, if a publisher came to me and said, hey, we're interested in having you write X established character, whatever that may be, we would have a discussion of whether or not that would be something that would fit my model, that fits what I do whether I could tell a 
a story that is of the Dirk Manning caliber and quality. So, so again, really, I think it just comes down to telling that story that you want to tell and don't wait to tell your favorite story. You know, mm-hmm. um, start with the one that excites you the most. Uh, you're always going to get better. You're always going to be able to look back and say, oh, I wish I would have executed this a little bit differently. Now, that being said, if you realize you don't have the capacity as a writer, a writer yet to tell that story that you want to tell the way you want to tell it, then wait and go to your other favorite story and write that one. In comics specifically, I would also stay, say, start small. Uh, especially if you can't draw it yourself. I cannot draw. I can't draw a crooked line. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I was like, I was like that kid was like a really good artist in first grade, never got any better. You know? <laughs> so you can't, I can't approach an artist and say to them, especially when I was getting started, I have this wonderful idea for a series. It's going to be 13 graphic novels long. They will run like hell <laughs> because they don't want to get wrapped up with my crazy ass for that long, you know. <laughs> my world, eight-page stories. Start small. Date before marriage, you know. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, you know, take your time to 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 learn your learn your craft and and, and learn and and I, I would tell people too, if at all possible, find a way to self-publish. Learn what goes into it. Do regional conventions as conventions come back. Become the comic book or author of your town, of your state, of your region. Become that person who people know who you are. Manage your social media in a way that it's about your work. Set up an alternate profile if you have to. Publicize that, you know. I mean, uh, make it about your work. Let people know who you are, what you do. Be proud of it. Tell a story only you can tell have fun with it. And, and remember, lastly, the only thing better than, there's only one thing better than perfect. And that's finished. You know, put it out, get it out. I'll I'll close out my rant with this. I'm a metal guy. Like I said, one of the the five points of the pentagram of Dirk Manning is heavy metal. Let's look at a band like Metallica. They put out Kill 'Em All. They put out Ride the Lightning. They put out Master of Puppets. They put out Injustice for All. They put out the Black Album. They put out a bunch of other albums after that, obviously. All those albums are different, right? And Mm -hmm. every album is a timestamp of where they were at that point in their career. They could not go back now and record Kill 'Em All or Master of Puppets or Ride the Lightning or the Black Album because they're in a different place. Everything you create as a writer, as an artist, as a poet, as a sculptor, as a butcher, as a baker, as a candlestick maker, whatever you do, <laughs> it's a timestamp of where you are at that time. Own it. It's okay. You might look back and say, oh, I, I can do so much better now. That's fine, but you made the thing then. And making the thing then is what gives you the skill set and the experience to build upon that and then make what you're going to make later. The only thing better than perfect is finished. Finish it, release it, be proud of it, and move on to the next thing. And as we finish out this podcast, remind everyone where they can find you online. If you're listening to this podcast before Friday, April 16th, you should go to buttsandseatscomic.com to check out the latest Kickstarter, Butts and Seats, the Tony Schiavone story. Uh, Past that, 
Uh, my website, which I'm happy to say just got a major 2021 facelift. DirkManning.com has all my socials on there, as the kids say. Uh, on Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, God help me, even Twitter, at Dirk Manning. Look for the picture of the guy at the top hat and the scarf. Uh, that is me for all intents and purposes, although I do not wear a top hat and scarf in real life. Um, but yeah, DirkManning.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Dirk Manning. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. And uh, can't wait to see what comes out next. I, I appreciate it. Um, there may be more right or wrong in the future. There's going to be more tales of mystery in the future uh, and um, lots of other good stuff. But but thank you for having me on, ladies. I appreciate it. And uh, again, the, uh, the kettle corn. <laughs> 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 promises.